just messing with you. First Chronicles chapter 21. First Chronicles chapter 21. I want to make an announcement here. We've had so much going on at the church for several weeks and uh, I had mentioned to the church that we wanted to help out a family. Brother and Sister Watson's daughter Kelly passed away not, not long ago. And of course they weren't uh, expecting that. And uh, I had mentioned to the church we wanted to help them in some fashion. So August 27th, Sunday, August 27th, if you folks would pray and whatever the Lord lays on your heart, we're going to take up offering that day for the Watsons to help, help take care of some of the expenses that were incurred. And I know that they didn't want any, any help, but we, we help each other at Parkview Baptist Church. And we had the tent meeting and we had other things happening. So uh, August 27th, if you just pray about what the Lord have you to do. And I'm sure whatever comes in, they'll appreciate it and the Lord will help take care of that, that need. First Chronicles chapter 21, I think I said 27, chapter 21. Uh, the Lord uh, gave me some messages during the tent. Um, of course, I'm not preaching during that week, and I still come into the office and still study and still try to do my pastor uh, work. And uh, that particular week, the Lord gave me a couple messages. Uh, to be honest with you, I, I was excited to preach them. And... Uh, of course, uh, Brother Chuck's passing, we had some different things come up, and the Lord laid some different things on my heart. And uh, so today, the Lord uh, spoke to me about going ahead and preaching this message. It's a message important to the church, and, and uh, it came during the week of tent, early in the week. And I have a message tonight the Lord gave me about unity in the body of Christ. I'll be preaching that. The Lord gave me that week also. And it's, it's amazing, my son Daniel came in and taught on that subject in Sunday school. And so it must be we need to hear about it, amen? So 6 o'clock tonight, come back. But this morning I have a message on my heart, First Chronicles chapter 21. Look at verse 1, that'll help set the stage for what we're going to see today in God's Word. First Chronicles chapter 21, verse 1, And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number... Israel. Now remember that. Drop down to verse 14 if you would. We won't take the time to read the whole chapter. Verse 14 now in that same chapter. So the Lord set pestilence upon Israel and there fell of Israel 70,000 men. God sent an angel unto Jerusalem to destroy it. And as he was destroying, the Lord beheld and he repented him of the evil and said to the angel that destroyed it is enough. Stay now thine hand. And the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. And David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord stand between the earth and the heavens, having a drawn sword in his hand stretched out over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders of Israel, who were clothed in sackcloth, fell upon their faces. David said unto God, it is not that I, that I commanded the people to be numbered. Even I, uh, excuse me, even I, it is that I have sinned and done evil indeed. But as for these sheep, what have they done? Let thine hand, I pray thee, O Lord my God, be on me and on my father's house, but not on the people, that they should be plagued. 
Then the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up and set up an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. David went up at the saying of Gad, which he spake in the name of the Lord, and Ornan turned back and saw the angel, and his four sons with him hid themselves. Now Ornan was threshing wheat. And David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and saw David and went out of the threshing floor and bowed himself to David with his face to the ground. Then David said to Ornan, Grant me the place of this threshing floor, that I may build an altar therein unto the Lord. Thou shalt grant it me for the full price, that the plague may be stayed from the people. And Ornan said unto David, Take it to thee, and let my lord the king do that which is good in his eyes. Lo, I give, it, I give the oxen, also for the burnt offering and the threshing instruments of wood and the wheat for the meat offering. I give it all. I want to preach today this thought, I give it all. That's what we need. I give it all. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And uh, Lord, how timely it is. Lord, for this ministry, for such a time as it is, for what we have to do in ministry weekly and monthly and yearly, for the future of our ministry. Please, Lord, place it upon all our hearts that hear this message this morning and some will hear it, Lord, uh, on the internet and so forth. Help us to be willing to give it all to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I thought that was an interesting phrase there. I give it all. I don't know about you and your Bible reading, but some things just pop out at me at times. And it causes me to study further and see what Lord's trying to say to me. Often I'm preparing sermons for this congregation and the Lord will just give me a phrase or sometimes even a word and get my attention there. The text before us this morning is talking about King David. Notice in verse 1, his sin of numbering the people. Now what was so wrong in numbering the people? Well, David was a king, and God told the kings not to number their horses, their armies, the people, because the Lord wanted them to trust in him, not in the power of their might, not in the, their ability. Uh, so the kings were told not to trust in these selves, in their own power, ability, number of their ranks. In Psalm 118 and verse 8, the Bible says, better to trust in the Lord than put confidence in men. Psalm 20 and verse 7, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we, we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Psalm 147 verse 10, the psalmist writes, He delighteth not in the strength of horses, he taketh not pleasure in the legs of men. Now most independent Baptist men that I see, that if there ever weren't a pair of shorts, they should hide those legs because God don't like them. He takes no pleasure in the legs of men. I'm just putting that out there Amen. for some of you. Amen. Amen. Some just nasty old looking legs. But anyway, he takes no pleasure in legs of men. What does he mean by that? Horses. He means armies. You know, their might, their ability. The legs of a horse has to do with how many in, in their army is marching uh, to try to bring uh, fear or terror in the hearts of the enemy they're opposing or going against. Psalm 147, verse 11, The Lord takes pleasure in them that fear him and those that hope in his mercy. That's what God takes pleasure in. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all thy heart 
Lean not on thine own understanding, and in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. We've heard those verses for years. But there are going to be times in all of our lives where we're going to have to take it to heart. Trust in the Lord. Count in the Lord. Look to the Lord. And David was worried. He was anxious. He was at a time of discouragement in his life. And even though he was warned, you read the chapter, he's warned by his captain that it wasn't necessary to number the the ranks. But David said, do it anyway. And he went ahead, headstrong to do it. He wanted to do his own way. Go his own, have his own will. And uh, because of that, the Lord had to judge. The punishment of God was against sin here in this chapter, and it fell upon the people. God commanded David also to the threshing floor of Ornan here, and he built an altar unto God. Here's a faithful man that had a business, and David, he now has sinned. He knows he has to correct the, the sin before God. He has to give a sacrifice to appease God. And he goes now and asks this man to give his threshing floor. Now drop down, if you would, to 1 Chronicles 21, 23. And let's read this again, what Ornan says. Very interesting to me. And Ornan said unto David, I remember David's the king. He's the sovereign. And he says to David, the king, if you would, Take it to thee, and let my lord the king do that which is good in his eyes. Lo, I give thee the oxen also, and the burnt offering, and the threshing instruments of wood, and the wheat of the meat offering. I give it all. He's saying, King, here it is. It's all yours. You deserve it. Here you go, King. I want you to have everything. Total sellout for God. He made complete consecration and dedication to God because he recognized the sovereignty of God in his life. Now, the threshing floor was the place where the grain was taken at harvest time. It was divided there, the wheat from the chaff. The threshing floor was an elevated place, if you would, or a mound, a flat level surface beaten down by the feet of men or by the hoofs of oxen. And it would be beaten down and made hard so that when the, 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 uh, the, the grain they were working with, the wheat they were working with, was thrown up in the air and the wind would pass by that high spot, it would cause the chaff to blow away and the, and the true meat to fall. And, and that was the process of the threshing floor. And so this was done uh, at the harvest time. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 3 and verse 9, we're, or verse 1, we won't turn there, but according to that chapter and verse, Ornan's threshing floor was near the place of Solomon's temple that was going to be built. It was Ornan's threshing floor, but down the road, in the mind of God, in the foreknowledge of God, he knew that that's where the temple would be built. In 2 Chronicles 3 and verse 1, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem at Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared unto David, his father, in past time, in the place that David had prepared the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Now, this is the mountain that Abraham sacrificed his son Isaac on. This is the same place where, which was called Golgotha, where Jesus was crucified. This is early on. It's Ornan's threshing floor, but God looked through time, and he knew what was going to happen to that very place or spot. Mount Moriah was the place of, that spoke of sacrifice. The threshing floor could have been the very spot where the cross was raised. Now think about that, and we'll go into the message. The equipment used here, he talks about, he said, Lord, I want you to have it all. But he said, 
I want, you to, I want you to have the oxen. I want you to have the shovels. I want you to have the fans. I, I want you to have it all. He's saying, God, I'm at your service. Everything I own, everything I am, it's yours, Lord. That was his heart. And he gave it to the king, his sovereign. Now the oxen trampled the grain to separate that chaff. The oxen were used to also draw sleds of grain to the fields from the threshing floor and to the threshing floor. The size of the threshing floor was dependent on the size of the farm that the husbandmen owned. The shovels were made of wood back then, and they were used to throw or toss up the grain and the straw in the air, and then the wind would do its job. And so it had a, it had a practical purpose to it. But prophetically, God knew what he was going to do with that piece of ground. And he gave it unto David, whereby God would later use it for the good of all humanity. The Son of God would be raised upon a cross. He shed his blood to wash away our sin debt. God knew that at this juncture of the story. We look at the scene, the place that is mentioned. It speaks how impressively Ornan loved his king. He was willing to be so generous, and he made a commitment to God through the giving of this property to the king. Now, in order for King David to carry out this command and build an altar, see, he had, he had offended God. He had done wrong, and God was sending pestilence into the land, and he, he spoke to God. You read in the verses that I read with you that he was saying, Now, God, don't judge the people. I did wrong. God, don't judge the people. And so he was ordered to make a sacrifice at this place. It was a piece of ground that was needed. A certain place. A primary place. A costly place. Animals had to be available and offered up. This was not a light thing here that Ornan is offering unto the king. There had to be wood cut. There had to be work done. There had to, it had to be brought and stacked and there had to be a fire there had to be a place provided for the meal offering. The grain had to be worked and separated. It had to be saved up. It had to be offered at certain parts and certain times. And so there had to be preparation. And when we go to serve the Lord, we have to understand something. God is always in the preparation business. God is always seeing down the road, which we cannot see. And he knows what he's doing. And he knows how to get the job done. But here's what he wants of us. He wants willing hearts. He wants us to be able to say someday back to him, Lord, you have it all. You gave it all for me. Now, Lord, I give it all back to you. Whatever you want is what he's saying. Well, that's, that's something to think about. When we say, Lord, you can have it all, we sometimes we don't understand what that might mean. You can have it all. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Are they words or are they a prayer? Do we mean those? King David only asked for a plot of ground. He, he just wanted the threshing floor. He didn't want the animals. He didn't want the sacrifice. He didn't want the wood. He didn't want anything but that threshing floor. And you know what? It was by direction of God. David didn't even know what was going to happen in that place one day. He just wanted the threshing floor. But Ornan said, no, no, no. Take it and do as you please. In fact, King... Take it all. This is the heart and mind and attitude of a truly committed person unto God. A consecrated believer, a sold out servant of the Lord. May we have this type of heart. 
in our little local church, in our days of ministry. Amen? Now, we read the words, I give it all, and it has several meanings here. That I, you know, if somebody else was preaching this sermon, you might come up with some different things. That's fine. But what I have for you today, I want to declare certain things that I believe will help all of us today out of this portion of Scripture. First of all, in this text, he says, I give it all. That means complete surrender. He's saying to the king, whatever I have offered to you, it's yours. You're worthy. You're the king. You're my sovereign. He's not asking him for a deal. He's not saying, now here, I'll give you some of the things and I can keep this for myself. He's not doing that. That's not where his heart is. His heart is saying, Lord, totally, it's all yours. Uh, whole, whole kit and caboodle, Lord, it's yours. It belongs to you. After reading these words, there's another connotation. I see not only complete surrender, but I see complete sacrifice. He says, lo, I... I give thee the oxen for the burnt offering and the threshing instruments of wood and the wheat for the meat offering. I give it all. In other words, he's saying everything I have is yours. I want to ask you something as a Christian. Have you ever come to the place in your life where you've actually thought or said those words to God? Lord, you can have it all. I hope so. But here's what happens sometimes when we say those words or think those words. We're afraid. Maybe God will take us up on it. Maybe God will call my children into ministry. Maybe some of mine will end up on the mission field. Maybe God might want me to do something. God might take something very precious that I don't want to give up. My livelihood, my job, my career, my plans, my dreams, my wishes. So we are very hesitant sometimes to say, God, you can have it all. But I want you to know it belongs to God. And if he wants to, he can take it. But he wants us to freely relinquish that which belongs to God anyway. So we see complete surrender. We see complete sacrifice. We see complete satisfaction. <coughs> Excuse me. He says, and let my Lord the King do that which is good in his own eyes. In other words, do what you think's best, God. Amen. You are worthy of my best, worthy of my all. We sing a song around here. My best, my all. Sometimes it's just a song. Sometimes it needs to be a prayer. Saints, I want to say today, I'm satisfied with knowing that uh, it's an honor and a privilege to give God your best. At some point in the Christian life, now hear me, at some point in the Christian life, you have to consecrate. At some point. Some people did it in their teens. Some people were young adults. Some people maybe came to the Lord late in life and preaching like this was preached or you were reading the Word of God and it came to you, the Holy Spirit told you, you've got to consecrate. You've got to be willing to give God all. And I'm sad to say many, 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 many Christians have never made that choice. But that's what God wants. See, we live in a world today that is so selfish, so self-centered, it's all about us, what we want. Amen? We even go to McDonald's. It's all about you, right? We, we, we go, we, we, certain slogans on certain foods and certain drinks and have it your way. And, you know, that, that's where we're at today. And we're told that. We're told that, that we're the important thing. We're not. Especially in the body of Christ. It's not about me. It's about Christ. It's not about me. It's about the gospel. But we are so hung up on self. 
What I want to do, what I want to wear, where I want to go, what I want to be involved in. Me, 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 me. Ornan said, God, you got it all. I relinquish everything to you. We sing a song around here by Judson W. Van Deventer. Wrote it in 1896. Well, that's a long time ago. And it says, all to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. And then we say, I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. But do we? Have we? Sometimes it's a process. We do it and we do it again and we do it again and we do it again. But here Arnon, this good man of faith, he loved his king. He knew who the king was and how he should respond to the king and the King's request was, I, I need your threshing floor. Without hesitancy, immediately he says, everything I have, it's yours. I'll even supply this and this and this, it's yours. I give it all. All the oxen, all the wood, all the wheat, all the ground. I give it all. And there's a principle set here by this man for us today. Here's the principle. God deserves it all. Tis anyone. People that struggle with tithing and giving in the church, they don't get it. It's his anyway. We're so proud. We think it's ours. Hey, listen. God can take away your health, and then you cannot make the living you make. God can shut this down and shut that off if he wants to. Why? He's God. He's sovereign. He's always right. We forget about that. There's some reasons why this man made the decision he made, and I'm going to come to some that we don't think about, especially today, we don't think about much. One thing is God's people don't think much about total consecration anymore. I believe it. We're just kind of halfway in, quarter of the way in, some in, but not all in. If I do God's will, what will it cost me? If I'm supposed to give and be in the service of God, how will it affect me? How can this possibly be good? Now, concerning the church today, as a pastor, I have a duty from week to week to get up and try to inspire, encourage, instruct the, the people of God. Some messages are all the three, and some are one or part of another. But this week I was thinking, as a pastor, I was thinking it may be that God wants more people to get involved in a ministry than already presently involved. Somebody's got to say, I'll do it. I'm thinking about the bus ministry. Bus captains go out on a regular visitation to visit the kids. And, you know, Brother Bill's a good bus man. Brother Jason, they've been faithful for a number of years. I thank God for that. And listen, if teachers back there teach, they wouldn't have anybody to teach if these people weren't faithful to do their job. And sometimes we let them do it all. We'll let them bring them in, then we'll, we'll, we'll get a lesson up and we'll teach them. That's our mentality. Bus people have been so faithful. What if they quit? What if God moves them? Then what do you do? Right? 
the success of our ministry has to do really with all us saying, Lord, whatever you want, I'm in. I'm consecrated, Lord. I'm dedicated, or we say, I'm rededicated to the things that you have called me to do. Somebody has to step up. Somebody has to give it all. Maybe there's a need for teachers. Junior church, Sunday school. How about, what a prime example, Vacation Bible School this week. You know, we've got a number of people. We're, we're, we're very blessed in this way. We've got a number of people in leadership of our church that have done it for years and years and years and years and years. But one of these days, they're not going to do it anymore. Through retirement, through health, through death, through something, they won't be there as they were before. Who's going to step up? Any Hornings out here today? Perhaps there's a need for more voices in the choir. More instruments to be played. Who will take that place? The Lord wants souls to be saved. So we got this program, Thursday Night Grow program. Door to door, letter writing. Trying to see if we can get the gospel out to people. Who will do those ministries? Same people that's always done them? Or will we have a heart of ornament and say, Lord, I'll give it all. I'll be involved. Our church needs volunteers to pick up some adults. Some of you are so faithful to pick up some of the folks around here that need a ride, and I thank God for you, but we could use more. More willing to. Ride to church, Brother Carl, Marcella, Monica. There'll be somebody else with a name one day. And there'll be an approach, and we'll either say, I give it all, yeah, sure, I'll help, no problem. I can do it on first and third Sunday, and -and so-and-so will do it on the third and fourth Sunday, no problem. Or will it be, no, I'm too busy, I can't. So therefore, the Carls and the Marcellas and the Monicas won't be getting a ride. See, this has to do with Christian service. It has to do with, what am I going to do? We keep depending on the same people for so long. The front porch is laid now, and I want to give us a few reasons why Ornan was ready and willing to give it all. You ever think about that? Why did this guy, why, why was he so, why did he react in such a positive way? Why was it so immediate? Why was it so inclusive? Yet, Lord, you not just a little, you, you got it all. What made this man this way? Well, there's a number of things I'll mention, and I'll be done, and we'll just take the message and apply it to each life. How's that sound? We're not voting. I don't know why I put my hand up. We'll just preach on it. First of all, Ornan may have given because it was the king. And he was requesting it. You see, we're so independent in our thinking, we can't think what it was like back then. Back then, when the king said something, it was rule. Remember when David decided that he wanted another man's wife? We wonder, how could that possibly... Because that's how kings were. That's how they live. You know, when the king came on the scene and took over, you know what they would normally do? Destroy the royal seed. The whole family was wiped out. Why? So that somebody else wouldn't claim the crown. So kings were ruthless. Kings were cutthroat. Kings knew that if they didn't take care of this in a proper way, that it would come back on them. And here's Jonathan, the son, and David should have never been king. Jonathan could have claimed the crown from his father Solomon, but he didn't. You know, you know what Jonathan wanted? He wanted God's will. He wanted God to get the glory. 
He could have been in the line of royalty. But he took a step back and said, he recognized God's will. He said, Lord, it's not my will, it's what you want. Where is that heart today among us as God's people? King David represents a sovereign God. What does God want out of your life? What does he want for your daily life? Let's examine a few of the reasons. One, he was king and he requested it. Verse 22, grant me this place, he says. It's a specific place. You know, my wife had a grand, her, her, her granny Pitts. We called her granny. Her, her name was Nettie McDonald, but we called her granny Pitts. You know, she, she had an old farmhouse, an old place she lived for years and years and years, and it was right by a local airport. Where the airport decided to expand itself, you know what it did? It bought up all the homes in that area and took them, if you would. And they gave her a really nice home. They set her up in a very nice home, and she was okay for years to, to come. But she hated to give up that home place. You know, governments and communities can come in and just say, look, this is important for the community, so you're out and we're in. This is the way it was back then with kings and kingdoms. For any given reason, a sovereign could come in and say, this is what I want. And the response would, well, you're the king. But it wasn't in such a way. This man was not, he wasn't mad about it. He wasn't sad about it. He, he wasn't relinquishing it by shaking his fist at the king. He, he, he wasn't going out bad. He, no, he said, hey, it's yours. Matter of fact, let me give you, give, I'll give it to you all. What a, what a man of faith. What a man of obedience. God may call us someday to give something that's very dear to us. He'll ask of us something that, it, that is important or even precious to us. What will be our response to him? I remember when the Lord was speaking to my heart about ministry. Boy, I wasn't at the first all excited about it. I must be honest with you. But God kept working and working and speaking and speaking and working until he made his want my want. His will my will. And I'm so glad that I had sense enough when I don't think I had much sense to do God's will. It's been a wonderful ride. I hope I have many more years. But as we have just seen, we never know about tomorrow, do we? Some may be out there and God has been working on you for years. When are you going to give in, give up, give over? When are you going to do what God's told you to do? Well, when I feel or when I think or... No, 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 that's not the answer. The answer is, what does God want? Hmm. Grant me this place, he says. The request may have been asked in the form of a command. We don't know. It kind of sounds that way. Most of God's work today is accomplished through God's ways and means. And you know what that ways and means is? You and I. Now, that doesn't make sense to me. God could use angels. He could use seraphims and he could use cherubims, created beings, if he wants to. God could even do it himself. You know, sometimes in life, I'm this way, maybe you're this way. You want a job done, and you, you want it a certain way, and you say, well, you know, I, I'll just do it myself. How many, are, how, many, how many are like that? How many of, yeah, that, we're like that, aren't we? 
God could have done it himself. But here's what God chose to do. Strange to me, but he uses people like you and me. Ordinary people like you and me. Sinners like you and me. Unworthy people like you and me. To do his bidding, to do his work. He has so many options. But Ezekiel twenty two thirty says, I sought for a man among them that he should make up the hedge and stand in the gap for me for the land that I should not destroy, but it found none. Oh, there's maybe a day God is so sad. I, I don't know, because you know God is sovereign. and Sometimes thinking about God and all that he is, you know, we talk about him being in, having a bad day. or feel, God doesn't have bad days. He doesn't have feelings like you and I have feelings. But if we could bring it into our own thinking, God is seeking for someone and he can't find that person. Yeah, you know, Quite frankly, I think it's not that they're not there, it's just that they're not available to God. I will not. Isaiah 6 and verse 8, the prophet says, And I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Any people like that lately? I haven't seen too many. Really. We just come back from that mission trip and there's that old missionary couple on the field 80 years old, serving God for 46 years, faithful missionaries, and they can't find a young man and woman to come take that work. I was just up north for a few days with my wife. We went up there to rest and pray and get our legs back under us, and thank you for your prayers. We feel refreshed, and we're back and ready to do the work of God again. But we went on our way home. We stopped to see my wife's aunt and uncle, Bev and Pat Cook. We stopped in, and they were sitting there, had a glass of tea, and they were talking about their little local church. And they said, all we got is old people. We don't have any young couples anymore. Nobody wants to come here but old people, retirees. And they said, they talked to me about Brother Chuck's passing, and they said, what are you going to do? Wasn't he, he's like your right-hand man. I said, yeah. Made a difference, and it's going to make a difference. How are you going to replace him? You don't replace him. You don't replace men like that. Just go on with the help of God. They said, we don't know. Our preacher's having some health problems and throat problems, and he's 71, and we're afraid he's going to retire. What are we going to do? I said, well, God will provide. But all those little churches all up north, they're all in the same boat. They can't get anybody to do anything. They can't be anybody to surrender. They can't get consecration. So you know what they got? They got 83 and 84 and 85-year-old deacons trying to go cut the grass and fix... He was talking about getting under the church to repair some pipe, and they're 80-year-old men doing the best they can. Why? Because the people that are there won't step up. Everybody wants to go to a big church, fancy church, contemporary church, have-it-your-way church. So the little churches are struggling everywhere. The church we were in Wednesday night, Holden Lake, the pastor had a pretty good group there. But, he, but the, we talked to some of the members as they were coming out, and they were saying, well, we, they, they had, they had a, 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 same as us, they had a picture on the wall of the building they're going to build. They've been trying to build, and they were explaining about the, the excitement about the building, but it's been like 10 years trying to raise the money, like all independent Baptist churches seem to have to do. And I'm not trying to be mean, but the Presbyterians, they put it up in no time. They got all kinds of money in people. I'm not complaining, I'm just observant. 
Amen. If it's a Lutheran church, man, it's up in six months. Amen. Jehovah Witnesses, they do it in a weekend. Yeah, they all come from all over and they build that building in a weekend. I was in Kendallville building our church. It took us about a year to get it done, but the Jehovah Witnesses came in, man, in a weekend they had a beautiful brick building, landscaping, parking lot, everything. I said, how did you do it? They pay somebody. They pay a, a Noble County, uh, 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 what are those guys that check the building? Inspectors, they stay on the job. They're paid to stay there so they can get the building done in three days. What are we doing now? Are we nine years into trying to raise some money around here for a building? We're independent Baptists, man. I give it all. Does that even enter our mind? Some don't give it all. That's not what it says. It says, I give it all. Not, I don't give it all. Or, I don't care at all. Or, I'm not sacrificing at all. I want it to be comfortable. So I'm up talking to this old deacon and his wife about their old pastor and their old church. And I just went to church the other night with them telling me right at the door, well, we've lost so many of our members because they're all retired and they come up here. It's getting, getting too cold here in the winter, so they're all going south and we're losing all our... Here's a church that got a bunch of gray-haired people, but they're losing all the gray-haired people. Everybody seems to be in the same boat. What is it? It's not, Lord, what do you want? It's, how will I be comfortable? Give us some people that are going to go out serving God to the very end. You know, Brother Chuck, he went out of here in a good way. <laughs> really. He served God all the way. No quit. Faithful. My pastor is that way, Brother Hadbrook. I want to be a preacher that's Good to the very end. Like the coffee, good to the last drop, amen. Chuck full of nuts, preacher. I'm full of nuts, I know, but let me go all the way to the end. Pray for me that I'm not one of those preachers someday, somebody's saying, well, Brother Brown was a good man for so many years, but hmm? David talks about all his exploits, and then he has this one part about David, save for the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Don't you forget that in God's word. God's looking for people. He's seeking men and women that will build up the hedge and stand in the gap. But have found none. Who will go for us, God says, Isaiah 6, say, Here am I, Lord, send me. Is that our heart? As a pastor of a local church, we call for workers and laborers in the field of God, sometimes the field's the nursery, sometimes it's music, sometimes it's maintenance, sometimes it's visiting the sick. Is God finding willing and able workers? Pastor, we call for faithful service in the financial end of a church. I preach on these topics. Say, preacher, why do you preach on these? I don't do it a lot, but why do you continue? You say it one time should be enough because it's necessary. And I'll make a deal with the church. I'll quit preaching on this stuff if everybody does it. I think I'm going to have preaching for a long time. I'll have, I'll have a lot of messages I can still preach on finances. Because I know people. I know people. Till everybody obeys God and gives as directed in the scripture, I guess I'll just have to keep preaching on it. 
till everybody sells out for the Lord. Listen, young people, God's got a will for you. You going to get on board? I've seen so many do their will, and it doesn't turn out too good. I don't understand church members that the word of God's very clear, but yet they just faithfully disobey what it says. I don't get it. But I'll keep preaching it. I've known some that have written me letters, took me aside, showed me right in the word of God where they stood. Problem is, what about these verses over here? And what about this? No, 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 no. I'm just sticking with this one right here. Here's why. To finagle out of doing what God has called us all to do. A lot of categories could be preached on with this. But I'll move on. What about our giving? Oh, but I don't really think of tithing. and That's crazy. And giving offerings, that's crazy. Benevolent, oh, let them take care of themselves. Missions, oh, there's enough missionaries. No, there's not. But we'll move on. Building. Nehemiah 4, 6. So we built the wall. Had the wall joined together under the half thereof. You know why? You know why the job got done? Very key phrase. For the people had a mind to work. Work. Obey. Serve. Sacrifice. Ornin. I give it all. You can have it all, God. And we always think about money, but it's not just money. No, it's not money at all. How about time? How about gifts? How about talents? I give it all. I was on my way up north. I made a few phone calls, checking in on people and getting back with people. I had so many calls and texts over the last week. and I gave Brother Dan Martin a call because... You know, Ben and Melissa came and joined, which surprised me. I had no idea they were going to even be here or join the church. Didn't know what was going on in their life. And I just wanted to brag to Brother Dan, hey, we got a new family. And I I thought I'd catch him. I I called him. He got back with me, and I said, hey. He said, Brother Brown, what do you need, you know? I said, hey, did you know Ben and Melissa joined the church? He said, yeah, I knew it. I knew it all along. I knew they were going to, just a matter of time. Well, that just burst my bubble. I mean, I'm all excited. Hey, your kids came back and joined the church. That's so exciting. Good. To... Uh, sh- We're in a day of internet. Everybody knows everything but me. I don't know anything. <laughs> saw it on Facebook. Saw it. Heard it on this. Heard it on... I, can't even, my kid, I can't even tell my kids anything anymore. They already know it. They knew it before it happened. <laughs> but it was a blessing. And he said, they just wanted to come back. They, they, wanted to, they wanted to do God's will. Boy, that's refreshing. As a preacher, that's like just a, so refreshing to hear somebody wants to do what God has told them to do. Amen? Amen. That's an ornament spirit. You can have it all. I give it all. Everything, Lord. That's what Paul spoke about in 1 Corinthians 12, 4. Now, there are diversity of gifts, but the same spirit and all these works, the one and self-same spirit, dividing every man severally as he will. He's telling us that everybody's got a work to do. Everybody's got a gift to, to give. Everybody's got a, a, a place. 1 Corinthians 14, 2. So 
you say, for as much as you're zealous of spiritual things, seek that ye may excel in edifying the church. The reason why we have all these things from the Lord is to excel and edify the church. That's why we need a lot more ornaments in the local church. Lord, I give it all. Use your talents for the Lord. Now I'm going to get, I haven't even got to my, I just got to finish. Ornan may have given because the king requested of it. Let me give you a few of these. I'm just going to mention them and come back to the one where I want to sit down a while. Ornan may have given because of the sorrow of heart. Chapter 21 and verse 4, God allowed the plague to come. And 70,000 died. That's a lot of people. Judgment of God upon other people because of somebody that was out of, out of sorts with God. Out of line with God. Don't think God won't do that. Remember Korah and his lot? He rebelled toward Moses. Remember the sons of Samuel, Hopni and Phinehas? Ungodly living as priests. Not as priests should live. Ananias and Sapphira, remember how they lied to the Holy Ghost in the church? You know, this brings me back to the point I really want to get across here today. And again, these things were written on my heart early in the week of the tent. Ornan may have given out of fear. You know what the church needs today? It needs some people like Ornan that are willing to give it all. And you know what the church needs again today? Fear of God. We're not comfortable with that. But we need a good revival of fear of God. First Chronicles 21, 20, And Ornan turned back and saw the angel and his four sons with him hid themselves. I, I guess we wouldn't even notice this. But in this chapter, the angel of the Lord has come, and he's got a sword in his hand, and he's ready to destroy Jerusalem. And God states, says, I'm not going to do it. But he brings a judgment anyway of 70,000 that die. But God's fixing to destroy Jerusalem because of David's sin of numbering the people. But God pulled back the curtains. And he showed Ornan and his son something very unusual. He showed him this mighty angel, powerful, awesome angel, so awesome, so powerful, so intimidating that they run in hide from him. Who was this angel? The death angel. Death angel with a sword poised to destroy because of the sin of the king. You know, years ago, some of you are new in the Lord, and some of you, you're just getting into this thing, you made a profession of faith, but you haven't been discipled, you haven't been to Sunday school much or church, so you don't know these things. But years ago, some of the older folks will remember this, Years ago, quite often, old-time preachers would preach on several themes. Hell, the judgment of God, the retribution of God, and the fear of God. The Bible says there's wisdom in the fear of the Lord. But we live in a day where nobody fears God anymore. This world don't fear God. No. This world's like this, poised like this to God. They do what they want, when they want to, as long as they want to. They could care less what God's word says. 
they'll find a different version to agree with them. They'll find churches that are compromising and kowtowing. They're not much of a church anymore. To please the people, to have a bigger crowd, because crowd means that you're all of God, and the bigger crowd, the more God's with you. Baloney. Isn't that what Brother Dewey said? That's a Greek word for something. Baloney. Fear of God. We need a revival of the fear of God in our hearts. And these old preachers, I remember them preaching as a young man. I'm talking about like reading about Billy Sunday. I wasn't wouldn't around Billy Sunday. Reading about Billy Sunday, Gypsy Smith. But I was around old Jack Parchment enough. And he's a cut. There's a cut of preachers like that that would preach on these subjects because they believed that God wanted them to, to keep the church healthy. Amen. These themes aren't preached much anymore. Therefore, does anybody fear God anymore? We need fear God back. Amen. As a pastor, I've watched some church members through the years live ungodly, get involved in things you cannot believe. And here's their answer. I'll just go somewhere else. I'm not a member here anymore. I quit a long time ago. That kind of stuff. And we wonder why there's no revival. We wonder why there's no growth. And we wonder why there's no power anymore. The churches are very anemic today. You know why? No fear of God. We need the fear of God back. I remember preaching. I remember as a young father having new babies. And I remember my preacher preaching on the fear of God. And he was... He was preaching one day and talking about how parents complain so easily about their children. Well, you've got to raise all these kids. You've got to pay their Christian school bill. And you've got to feed them. You've got to buy them all these clothes they want. And a new style comes out. People would just complain, complain, complain. And I remember my preacher preaching on one of those themes one time. He said, you know, God can rectify that problem. Yeah. And God can take away that baby. God can take away that child. It'll be a whole lot easier for you. Boy, that woke me up. My wife and I were talking about this just about a week ago. Maybe even before the 10, I'm not even sure, but we were talking about, you remember when the preachers used to preach on the fear of God and the preachers used to preach about, you know, God can, God can you don't like your job? God can take care of that. Complain about this and complain about that. You know, the fear of God is something that we all need back in our hearts again. I wonder, when, I'm not talking about, Brother Chuck just passed, we're talking about a faithful saint. I'm talking about people that are not right, won't serve, live ungodly, do unbelievable things, and they don't fear God. And I wonder sometimes, what's it going to take to wake some people up? The fear of God. Maybe even the judgment of God. Will it be a health problem? Or a financial problem? Or the loss of a job to wake somebody up? Or the lack of work? Or home problems? Or something affecting the life of our children? Hey, one thing about me, I've always feared this about, I want God to bless my children and use my children. You know, I don't want God to take anything out on me. 
because I've been disobedient to God through my children? So would God do something like that? Oh, yeah. See, he's sovereign. He'll do what he has to do, what he feels necessary to do. In this text we have before us, we look at the 70,000 dead, but God was so gracious because that angel of the Lord was standing with a sword over all Jerusalem. And God in mercy only did 70,000. I don't know if I want to serve a God like that. Oh yeah, I do. Because he's king of my life. He's sovereign God. You know what? He doesn't want to have to. You know, the Bible says if a father loves his children, he's going to chasten them. He doesn't want to, but sometimes God has to. I see the need of fear. Psalm 66, 16, Come and hear all ye that fear God, and I will declare what he hath done for my soul. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, Let, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Mike Miller's old life verse. Psalm 217, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God. Listen, I'm about done. If we don't learn to fear God again, you think they're going to fear God? They already don't. And I think they see a lot of Christian people living as they want, doing as they want, and they go, no, what's the difference between me and them? I guess I'm just as good as they are. So why do I need church? Why do I need the gospel? Why do I need Jesus? Why do, why do I need any of this stuff? Those people, they're not any better than I am. You know why? Because so many of God's people don't fear God anymore, and they do as they want, as they please, and they won't surrender all to God. Sorrow of heart. Maybe that's why. He saw the need. Maybe that's why. I don't know. But he gave everything up. And here's my last thought. What if Ornan had refused to give it all up? Well, according to the text, Jerusalem would have been destroyed. <laughs> no Jerusalem. If there's no Jerusalem, then there's no Calvary. If there's no Calvary, there's no Jesus dying on the cross. If there's no Calvary, there's no blood being shed. If there's no Calvary, there's no remission of sins. If there's no Calvary, there's no salvation by grace through faith. If there's no Calvary, we don't have a Savior. If there's no Calvary, there's no hope. You see, this was a pretty important decision this man made. At a time when it needed to be made, when God was getting ready to judge, there was a man that stood up and said, God, I'll give it all. <laughs> David had that big speech, well, if it don't cost me anything, we always look at that good, if it don't cost me anything, I won't do it. He said that, but this guy was already, he stepped up first. Because of Ornan. I think God was pleased. And God was generous and gracious and merciful and long-suffering. He could have done much more. I wonder today, as God's people, what does God want from you and I that he's not getting? 
the respect and the honor of who he is. He is God. He is sovereign, holy God. He is creator God. And for us, he's our savior. It's about time for us all to say, Lord, I give it all. Not just a part, not just a piece, not what's convenient. Hadn't been for warning. No Bethlehem, no Calvary, no Pentecost, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So my question to us today, will you, like Ornan, say to God, I give it all. Have you ever consecrated? Consecrate today. Have you ever sold out? Sell out today. Have you ever said, God, I've been going the wrong direction. Lord, I'm sorry. I'm going to go your direction. Have you ever done that? You need to do it. Say, preacher, I did, but I've kind of fallen away. Then get back to God. Let's all go forward. I, I've said this. What could a church do? What could a ministry do if we were all in one accord sold out for everything God would want? Now, it doesn't mean there won't be sacrifice. It doesn't mean that it won't hurt a little bit. It won't, won't mean that everything will go our way. But what could God accomplish? God gave his best. Jesus gave his all. The Holy Spirit gave and comforted the early church. Look at the growth in numbers and victories that the early church had. I think of it. They had people that were sold out. They had the fear of God. And they had a desire for God's will to be done. Let's bow our heads if we would. We're done today.